not necessarily put on 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 grid design it's kind of sort of walkable so so yeah it has that vibe you know um but yeah I, I totally get what you're saying a lot of i think cities in the in the us um obviously designed around the car so you know it's one of those where it's you're in a box you go to a box you go to another box um and um and you don't have the the the, the foot sort of experience that you might get in a, in a european city which i think is one of the, the best parts of being in europe is to be able to walk around yeah absolutely absolutely was that was there a favorite city in europe uh, Mihal? oh my it's difficult <laughs> because each city has like you know it's kind of like you 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 feel their identity right when you go visit them right like you 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 roam around in london and it has like you 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 do see that you sense the pride and the history and you know every square you know that you encounter you know there's somebody you know like oh this guy 18 something 1800 something something you know sir xyz abc blah 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 right <laughs> as soon as you come to you know uh, paris right i mean i'm not an artistic guy right but if you go to louvre right i mean you definitely feel wow right i mean like so, so yeah, the yeah. Art, art is imbibed in the identity of the city right so yeah is, yeah 100 percent and the so architecture very differently paris very different architecturally to to london yeah. um uh, both great in their own ways but yeah absolutely they have different character um and uh, and all of those things like make a big big difference like uh you mm -hmm. know a, a big difference i think between uk uh, and continental europe is probably is, is the cafe culture generally um uh, where you know at every kind of cross section in uh, seemingly in 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 France um, and Italy, Spain, place like that, you will have a, a sort of a cross section where there's shops, cafes, places like that, and that's where lots of people congregate and have outdoor culture. Mm -hmm. In the UK, you tend not to have that. It's it's the weather is not uh, suitable for it, so it tends to be more around like pubs and stuff uh, of that nature. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we should talk about that a bit later, Mehul, because we are live. <laughs> We're live, everybody. Um, we are talking about traveling. We're going to get into it because Mehul is an international entrepreneur. Um, uh, we're back, folks, with Founders Focus. This is the favorite thing for me to do. We've had a bit of a break because uh, we've taken uh, sort of some time over the summer really to recalibrate and to speak to more entrepreneurs who want to be taking part in this. Uh, and we're pleased to bring the show back on the road, episode 32. Um, and this is the show where we get up close and personal with the people that are making technology change in a way in which we recruit and work today. Um, I want to know exactly what is driving these people. Um, what is it that they've learned through their entrepreneurial journey? And what is their vision for the future of work that we're all participating in? So welcome, everybody, to the show. And welcome, Mehul Bhatt, uh, CEO of Flow Career. So Mehul, uh, welcome to the show, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's great. Let's start. Firstly, you're a busy CEO. You're, you're running a, 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 a recruiting technology business. Um, it's always going to be 24 by 7. What did you cancel, Mehul, in order to come on to Founders Focus today? <laughs> so I had to you know, shorten our daily account management meeting a little shorter. And uh, 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 there was one more follow-up in-house, kind of you know, our own internal meeting, which we had to postpone. 
Right. So I apologize to your account management team um, that <laughs> did not get the full support from the CEO today uh, because of the uh, requirement to come online and, and speak to me. So I do thank you for this. I'm always conscious, by the way, Mel, I know how important the CEO time is. And I'm thinking, you know what, we better make sure this one hour is worth it for Flow Career. Um, so, Mihal, um, let's sort of rewind back in time. Um, we ended up talking about sort of your your journey, um, you know, going for, for living in India, going to education in the US, uh, and then building kind of a, a technology career, successful technology career in San Francisco. That's almost like the classic immigrant storyline, isn't it? Like people imagine this thinking, okay, you work really hard, you get your academic uh, skills, you get into a US university, and then boom, you have a chance working in the Silicon Valley. Um, take us through that right when you decided that that journey was the right thing. When did you decide to come to America, Mihal? So, uh, you know, back in the undergrad studies, right, I was one of those, like, like many, you know, happy-go-lucky guy, you know, doing my studies and, you know, having fun in college and whatnot. Uh, it was in the final years of, this was the like uh, mid nineties, you know, it was the final year of my college when, when we realized that, man, there are not a lot of opportunities here in India. So we have to do something. And that's when we realized that, okay, you know, uh, but there's a lot of things opening up, especially, you know, in, uh, uh, in the computer networking and those kind of areas, uh, which I found somehow naturally inclined to in my, you know, uh, final year of education. So I thought, okay, let me continue this journey abroad, and uh, and then we'll see, uh, you know, what life brings, right? Uh, so so yeah, that was that was the idea that okay, uh, uh, this is the area which I really find my my undergrad was in electronics and communication, but we had one subject on networking towards the end of the last semester. So uh, that's when I decided, okay, this this is very very interesting. Let's continue this journey. So perfect. And perfect timing as well in terms of the uh, sort of educational experience with the, the sort of maturity of the technology at the time. Um, mm -hmm. Internet, I think, if I recall, late 90s was more or less when internet was suddenly okay, this is a thing properly. You know, I think True. in the... In the mid '90s, we you still had internet skeptics. I mean, I, I know a lot of people watching this show are probably too young to even believe this could possibly be the case, because <laughs> the internet is ubiquitous, right? Most of us are probably looking at the internet first thing in the morning, last thing in the evening. But in the mid 1990s, there were still people are saying, "Yeah, this is just a fad. It's not going to go in anywhere." But by the the late 90s, it was pretty self-evident. It was going to be like a big game-changing uh, 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 kind of category. And of course, you know, entering it into that space was perfect, uh, perfect timing. Absolutely. How yeah. how was it to, to sort of as a young kid, uh, uh, sort of young Indian kid in in America? How was that? How was your first year? Your, your first year acclimating to a different culture. Take us through that sort of uh, experience, Mehul. So I, I came to uh, uh, IIT Chicago uh, uh, for my master's degree. And uh, in the by the time you reach the master's degree, at least you don't have a lot of so-called identity crisis, right? You kind of, you have your friends, you kind of, kind of focused on your studies and you know, kind of, uh, uh, so that, that acclimatization was not a big issue. And, and I really, really enjoyed, you know, studying. Uh, uh, I had a wonderful, you know, graduate advisor. Uh, some of the professors, I'm still in touch with them. 
and uh, you know I, I I got an opportunity to work at the Fermi lab, you know, like uh, astrophysics, and those are like you know uh, pure science is also kind of my hobby. So it was great working for Fermi Labs in the summer intern, and and it was really fabulous. You know, I really really enjoyed uh, studying at IIT Chicago, uh, and uh, yeah, absolutely, that was fun. You know, it's it's, it's actually uh, great that so the maturity of the person is important when you're making a big change because I think entrepreneurship is one of those things that often does require big change. You know, um, uh, if you're like uh, typically. Uh, again, this is pre-COVID. Maybe things will be changing now and how entrepreneurship might be more remote driven. But not so long ago, if you weren't moving to a big city, it basically was not going to be happening for you in terms of building a technology product. So you had to make that choice to say, right, I have to move to London or I have to go to Berlin or you have to go to San Francisco. You couldn't do it from a regional town. So um, a lot of people, I think, you know, that, that life circumstance of, of, of changing their life circumstance is actually really, really difficult. Um, and and it would be interesting to know where, you know, the new future that we see now where we might be building remote first companies uh, from the beginning, maybe there's a different entrepreneurial process that will emerge from, from, from that route. Um, but it's, um, it, it's going to be an interesting challenge to see whether you get the same uh, a degree of uh, sort of inspiration working entirely remotely that you would otherwise get when you're kind of working in cheek by mm -hmm. jowl with other people. Um, take me through that experience. When you move to San Francisco, you work for a bunch of startups, some of which became uh, really successful. Uh, what was your big learning from your experience of, of being part of companies that ended up being successful that way? You know, that's a very good thought because, uh, you know, you are talking about the remote first and, and so on and so forth. But there are definitely the your surroundings, the, the environment, you know, the whole ecosystem, which, which plays a big role uh, for sure. Right. I mean, even in U.S., if you see the Bay Area versus outside of the Bay Area, this is definitely it has always been a huge you know cultural gap. Uh, I kind of worked. Uh, in the last semester in Chicago with uh, with a company, and uh, uh, it was year 2000, and and people still didn't know anything in Chicago about you know stock options or startups or anything like that, right? It was like a decent 30, 40 people you know size company, uh, and uh, one of my very close friend convinced me that hey you know if you are into uh, you know the computers and you know high tech jobs, the Bay Area is the place to be, right? So I took my one-way ticket, went to Bay Area, and uh, it was the crazy time. You know, the dot-com bubble was like at its peak, right? Uh, Santa Clara Convention Center in, in, in Bay Area was every weekend almost there was a job fair. Uh, and, and everyone is talking about startups and stock options and, you know, the live and breathe. What is the market doing today, you know? <laughs> so, so that was an... Interesting, you know, that was one of the pivotal decisions to go to Bay Area. It definitely helped a lot. Worked with a lot of smart people. You know, uh, my mentor in my first uh, job, Ron Frederick, was in fact uh, uh, one of the first writers of the RTP protocol, the streaming protocols. He, that he was using right now. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Like, yep. This was in 1980s that they wrote those protocols, late 80s and early 90s. That's incredible. So, um, yeah. Yeah, we're lucky so, to be part of that ecosystem. 
and you know what you you look back on it i mean obviously you've got a long way to go in terms of your your entre entrepreneurial journey uh, Mihal, so that you never want to be premature in looking back but uh to be in that era in the uh, in the in the dot-com bubble at the beginning was probably a remarkable period um uh, uh, because that is unlikely to be repeated you can see that the future mm -hmm. will look differently in, in a more distributed fashion um i only read today i think in stack overflow blog that you know, one of the big characteristics of um, uh, this new era we're in is actually a loss of talent from those places that previously had sucked in a lot of talent. San Francisco, I think, is the metropolitan center in the U.S. that has had the biggest decrease in population, I think, um, mm -hmm. over the past three years compared to other places. So um, it seems to be the case that a lot of technology companies are thinking let's build elsewhere um, we can do it more remotely we can access different types of talent um and and yeah that that sense of excitement uh, will, will it come back i don't know something to uh, uh to chew down on and figure out um talk to me about startup lessons that you learned in that time that you have been able to apply to flowcreate um so you worked in a bunch of startups early on they were successful what did you take from those that experience that you could say, you know what, if I ever do my own thing, this is what it's going to look like? Yeah, so to be very honest, during those early days, I didn't have a very clear kind of a life plan to be an entrepreneur, you know, in those early 2000. Uh, but definitely the lessons learned during those years, you know, uh, uh, helped me a lot. Uh, a few things are always, you know, uh, which is very critical for startup is, uh, you know, kind of, you know, you, you, you are okay with the uncertainties, you know, like, you know, things can go anywhere and, and the resilience of uh, the company that I was working for, cash flow, CSEH cash, cash flow became blue coat later on, right, and, and uh, uh, had a very interesting journey. So, you know, quarter to quarter, you know, life was different, right? It was like, it can go anywhere, you know, up and down, you know. And, and the resilience of the company, the resilience of the management and, and the adaptability, you know, uh, those were, you know, uh, uh, lifelong lessons that I learned, right? Uh, and, you know, there is always this, you know, the balance between the architectural purity versus time to market, right? And the startup has to make sure that the time to market is properly sure. kind of weighed in here, right? So, yeah. so those were like very, very important learnings, you know, uh, which I was uh, able to continue taking with me those you know, in my own journey too. You know, there's two elements here I want to touch on, Mihal, um, because they're both very interesting. Um, dealing with uncertainty, I think that that is one of those sort of cliches that is true it, within startup is true, but also as the world externally becomes more uncertain, these skills are going to be super important um for everybody um uh, you know to be able to basically make decisions with slightly less information that you than you're used to right um you know if you're if you're able to make a decision on 80 percent information guess what the modern era you might need to have to make that decision on 57 percent information um and your ability to still make that decision and commit to it is i think an important skill um and then of course probably the error rate will go up in which case your ability to respond to a mistake or respond to a false move and quickly recover is another skill that is important to uh, develop. How do you develop that skill? 
like from an individual perspective what how do you kind of build that that ability to bounce back or that ability to make a risk that's a good question you know if you if you if you think about it right another another element to what you just mentioned right is also now everywhere the time is shrinking right what used to be like you know uh if you look at every aspect of our life right things are faster quicker you know now you want you watch netflix you, there's no even time to look at the credits the next episode starts in five seconds you know uh, i was just watching documentary for a change uh, while i was on the uh, flight and i realized that i find it now so slow because you know you are used to your customized youtube content that you want to watch you know uh, so not only you have to make decisions with less amount of information but even now lesser amount of time right uh, Personally, what has helped me and everybody has their own ability to kind of uh, deal with this. But personally, what has helped me is kind of um, developing a much larger context to, to any problem in life. Right. Uh, if you look at a much bigger context, right, uh, you know, even taking it to, uh, you know, uh, your lifespan. Or, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a geeky guy. I'm a sciencey guy. So, you know, the whole, uh, you know, the earth has been around 4.5 billion years, right? And you are, your time is very short, right? So why to waste it for the nonsense things and, you know, just focus on the important stuff, right? So you're talking about like zooming out, like zooming out from the current situation, the immediate situation, and just contextualizing yourself in, in, into that and almost making it saying whatever decision it is, is going to be insignificant in that broad schema, even though it, emotionally it may feel like very significant, but in the broad yeah. schema, it's actually not a big deal. That then causes you the ability to make that decision with the same degree of uh, decisiveness than you would uh, uh, sort of normally take in a more predictable world, let's say. And, and you that, that helps you to take risk, which otherwise you might not take. You might think, oh my God, you know, if I do this, what's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. In fact, my decision to move back to India was kind of influenced mostly because of that, too. And uh, I know you are kind of progressing slowly, <laughs> step by step. But, you know, if I look back, you know, the only reason I wanted to move back to India was to, uh, you know, that again, larger perspective. Right? And I don't want to look back at my life and see, hey, what would have happened if I have done that? Right. So what's the big deal? Just go ahead and do it. In worst case, you can always come back, you know, so that's absolutely right there's, there's a guy who i'm speaking to um and this is on like a hacker news thread or something but he posted something online to say he's a first jobber um and he's being made a, another job offer in a different city he wants to go to the city it's good money it's all this but then he said something about oh it's a, it's a huge risk because he's got a currently happy job loves his team loves his manager loves everything what do i do and i actually commented to say i'd straight away said just take the job um because <laughs> let's be clear um number one um it's not an irreversible decision like you're thinking about it as a completely decisive scenario it isn't you go there worst case doesn't work out three months you're back no worries uh, or you find another job especially if you have highly uh in demand skill set um then actually there is no degree of uh, you're not that vulnerable to to to, be, to being sort of unemployed if you are highly skilled in the man. 
Um, secondly, it's like the, the worst case scenario is not worst case scenario. It's like you go and take the job um, and, you know, you'll basically be able to build some, and it's a, a mistake, but you'll be able to build some ability to make mistakes and understand it's not a big deal. That mm -hmm. in itself is a hugely valuable lesson. Um, and again, you're not signing an indentured contract where you're committed for five years or whatever. Yes, it says, you know, impermanent, but you can leave this job at will, no problem. Um, and the biggest risk, actually, which we know by data is to stay overly long in your current business, because we know, for instance, that if, if let's say, optimizing comp compensation was important, we know that staying in the same company is actually the biggest suppressant for your um uh your compensation yeah it kind of you you jump in steps rather than incrementally up so anyway i give him quite strong advice to say take the rope not sure whether he has or not or, or whatnot but anyway um interesting uh you, you mentioned going back to india uh Mehul. this is quite an important trajectory so basically a couple of startups they were successful they exited uh, tell us a little bit about that and what was the trigger that caused you to go back to india so, uh, like many immigrants, you know, uh, the thought of going back is always in most immigrants' minds. You know, someday I will go back, or after I reach certain milestone, or after I retire, or whatever. Right. So people always have those thoughts in their minds. And uh, uh, when my second startup that I was working for that got uh, Nova Systems that got acquired by Cisco, and Cisco has a huge presence in India, so. I thought that, okay, I can take this opportunity, uh, uh, go back to India. Uh, at least one of the variables will not change. You know, I will still continue to work for the same company, same group. And, uh, you know, let's try it out. You know, and my, my wife was also quite supportive on that. And, you know, we always wanted to try it out and see how it goes. You know, uh, it's not an irreversible uh, 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 situation given my immigration status at that point of time. So, you know, then, then, then what's the big deal? Let's try it out and see how it goes, right? So it was purely driven by that, you know, uh, uh, experimental kind of uh, mentality that, okay, let's, let's try it out and see if we can be the part of the growth story over there you know, and, and, and see how it goes. I was about to say like that 10 year gap is probably changed. India had gone through this tremendous change in that period of time. Um, I, it was obvious to me when I actually first visited Bangalore that it was a city at the time in the middle of massive change because you could see the, 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 the juxtaposition between super modern uh, sort of stuff. And then within 10 meters, there'll be stuff that would be super legacy. And there will be like within the same screenshot. If you, you know, if you could take a picture, you'd take it the same thing. That only happens when you have accelerated growth. Um, sure. And it's going like this. So that in itself is actually a really um, smart entrepreneurial advice to kind of just go to where the growth is um rather than have some genius that you don't need the genius idea per se if you have one amazing but it, actually if you know that this is a growth area a growth country a growth industry a growth something just being in around that kind of gives you much more opportunity to succeed than if you end up in a place or in an industry that is trending down for whatever reason so you know i, I totally get that you know that was a you could calculate the risk a little bit and think, okay, let's give this one a shot. Um, <laughs> tell us about doing entrepreneurship in India, because that was was that different from the US? And if so, what what how so? 
So to be very honest, you know, in 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 US, I I myself was not an entrepreneur. I was part of the startup. I learned a lot. But but when you put your own, uh, you know, fixed guaranteed salaries at risk, that's a completely different ballgame, right? So, uh, uh, but one difference I would say is for sure that you know, even the fact that the standard of living, you know, the you know the uh, the ex living expenses are less, so you can afford to kind of take risk for a longer period of time compared to, you know, let's say if I would have been in, in Bay Area, you know, I couldn't have survived without salaries for probably more than a year or a year and a half. Who knows? That's, that's pretty good <laughs> if you can survive for a year without salary in San Francisco. <laughs> so so that that way it was very helpful to kind of, you know, I, I, I started playing around uh, in 2015-16 timeframe. Uh, I, I attempted one thing that didn't go so well, uh, you know, uh, then me and my co-founder, we kind of uh, repivoted everything, started with a different idea and, and whatnot. So that, you know, uh, uh, you know, despite having the first failure, I was still able to try the second one. Uh, that's because I was, uh, you know, living in India. That's actually a really interesting uh, and important point to make because you wonder how many entrepreneurial uh, 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 sort of uh, journeys end at the first failure, um, and that that itself is a tragedy. Because if you look at the the people that have succeeded, oftentimes it's like a multiple string of failures before they hit on one thing. Uh, and and one of the one of the the lessons that I've learned in just observing a lot of this activity is that it's almost like you just got to stay in the game long enough, um, and eventually it'll work. It's it's like it's like you're in a boxing match. Just stay in the ring. Uh, you know, make sure you're still there around 12. And guess what? You got a shot, right? Whereas, and this is where a lot of the privilege comes in because if you have the wherewithal to survive a long period of time without, you know, a, a secure income, that is a huge competitive advantage for you. Um, if you can survive multiple experiments, you can experiment for longer that is a huge benefit for you. Those are probably the two main things uh, I would say ahead of things like team, ahead of things like product, ahead of things like any any of that. Um, those two elements are going to give you that advantage and reducing uh, sort of uh, sort of extending the runway by moving to India, I think is one of the smartest things you could do. Um, and again, in future, maybe uh, people will not have to sort of uh, uh, enter into a place where your runway is inherently short because of the, the cost concerns, but you could actually do some cool entrepreneurial stuff in places where uh, the living expenses are far, far lower. Um, tell us about sort of uh, the when you decided to put it on the, on the line, as you say, Mehul, a lot of people don't get there, right? A lot of people have the thought, but they don't actually get there. What was the moment that you realized you're going to do it? Um, was there was there like a, 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 a an event that you can recall that caused you to say right this is happening? So so uh, when when we were moving back to India, you know, at that time itself, we were pretty much decided, me and my wife, right, that we will we will try out some entrepreneurial stuff after moving back to India. Maybe it was a glass ceiling; we couldn't do it here in US. Who knows? But we were somehow under the impression that once we go back there we should be able to take more risk and, you know, uh, attend these things. Uh, so that was pretty much decided that we will do that. Now, exactly what we will do, we weren't sure yet. We had some couple of ideas uh, about, you know, okay, skills development and something around the skills is, was my passion. 
I thought we'll do that. Uh, on, 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 on networking and, and kind of a virtualization world, uh, uh, I knew that the kind of uh, money and the kind of fundings that you would require to do something drastically new would be a very big uh, check that you will need. And, 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 and Bangalore at that time, at least for me, I didn't think that that was the right environment. If I want to do that, Bay Area would have been the right environment. So uh, uh, if I go in that path, then maybe I will do some kind of uh, effectively a moment pop shop of some kind of a services work, services industry, where I can still make an impact, uh, but it will not be a product. It will not be a real startup, right? So those were the kind of uh, options that I was considering. And then, uh, uh, you know, meanwhile, I took a job that will give me some more experience to work closer to customers, you know, so uh, in Cisco. So I was doing that. And then uh, in 2014, I was really, really frustrated. It's been three, four years. We have moved back and I'm not able to take any leap of faith. Now, what, what can we do? And then I realized that, okay, what is blocking me as of now is I'm working full time for a company. So I cannot, you know, simply openly explore any, anything, right? So I decided, let me take the contract position, you know, let me become a consultant, uh, you know, so live. So, so for me, it was a little step-by-step, step, you know, that, okay, I leave my full-time job, become a consultant so I can openly explore other ideas and, and whatnot. I can put it on my LinkedIn, you know? Uh, so, so that was the first step I took. And then, you know, uh, the first experiment was with flow learning, the, the flow part of the flow career uh, and flow learning was, you know, uh, this concept of flow, right? You are experiencing the flow. So you are doing the work that you really love, you know, just time just freezes and you are really into that, right? Like, like you know, uh, when a musician is, is is playing a symphony or, you know, you're writing something or you're writing a beautiful piece of code or maybe a, a great Excel spreadsheet, which is very complex and interesting, right? So, you know, that time you are really into it, right? So that was the whole idea, yeah, right? So, so it was around the skills development and so on. This was my first, first experiment. That's great. I love this explanation, um, Mehul, uh, particularly with regards to, you know, the, the incremental kind of distance that you needed to create between you and the employer, because I think a lot of people that are full-time employed do have these great ideas, but I, I do think it is kind of impossible to parallel process that um, because as an employee, if you're doing full service to, to doing the due respect to your employer, you don't necessarily control all of your time or certainly not all of your energy. You need to put the energy and time to the employer mm -hmm. um, and, you know, to do stuff on the weekend or after hours and stuff that I think that's almost a superhuman uh, sort of effort to try and do. You need to have a really good idea or something uh, to, to, to push that through. But to step back somewhat to say, you know what, as a consultant or a contractor, even psychologically that shifts a little bit because you can say, mm -hmm. I am a supplier of services. You compensate with the rate, uh, but that's where there's a, there's a, there's like a little bit of a barrier emerge, and then suddenly you can start working on your own stuff. So maybe that's a pathway for people who are watching this and thinking, okay, I want to do my own thing. Uh, a lot of people do have this, but they don't make the move. Maybe a change of relationship with your employer initially could be the a kind of a stepping stone approach, which uh, which might work. Um, secondly, by the way, I need to compliment your wife, Mehul, because um, having uh, a partner that is supportive on the journey and a co-partner in the journey, I think is so, so important. Um, if you are 
you know, fortunate enough to have a partner and, and family and so on like this. Um, I think without alignment, uh, it, th this is also going to be extraordinarily difficult because the, the risks that you're taking are, include more than yourself. Um, so great that your, your spouse was able to support you in that. And then the spouse becomes actually a big accelerator, a big force multiplier, because you know you've got someone to support you um, mm -hmm. rather than, you know, someone mm -hmm. who... Yeah, 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 huge, huge, it's, important. I mean, for any individual, right, it is it is very, uh, uh, you know, important factor in your life, right? I mean, if, if that part is not functioning smoothly, you know, it would have its, you know, kind of, you, 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 you it takes a toll mentally and emotionally, right? So uh, you, you can't do it. Status. You can't this do it. If you... If you have a dysfunctional relationship, um, I don't think you can do entrepreneurship. Um, I, I think it just sucks too much out of you to try and repair the relationship or to try, you know, the, you don't, you're coming home. It's not, a, it's not a safe place. It's not, a, it's a high stress scenario. So how are you going to do your job? How are you going to work on an idea? You know, you need to have some, some mental calmness to do that. So absolutely. I think the personal side is just completely intermingled with, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial side. When did you know the first idea wasn't working, Meho? So you you had the flow, uh, sort of the skills idea. Uh, what what told you that wasn't working? When did you decide to pivot? Because I think that's an important thing also to learn as an entrepreneur. Sometimes we quit too early on an idea, we bail on it because the first customer didn't do this. Sometimes we persist too long. I think that's more common, uh, and you realize you, you you just drain all of your resources and drain all of your your spirit, and then you don't do it again. Uh, when did you know and pick the time? Okay, this, we need to pivot. Sure. I mean, uh, you know, you 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 have to be kind of uh, data driven at the end of the day, right? I mean, you have your emotions, you believe in things, but but you have to understand that okay, maybe you know the market is not ready for this. Or, or maybe you were too idealistic, or you know, uh, you know, some of those parameters. I'd right? like, is there a big enough market for what I'm trying to do? You know, uh, maybe the timing is not right, right? So it's very, very important that you also have a few friends who can really tell you the truth in your, in your face, right? Uh, if you have those, you know, that's that's probably one of the biggest asset you would have in life, right? So they can they can also tell you that, hey, you know what, you know. You brainstorm, you look around, you look at the data, you give you 100%, you give enough time too, right? That's important that, you know, you don't give up too early. And that's always a difficult question, right? Uh, and, and and I have some friends, in fact, right now who are in that kind of a situation, right? And and it, it becomes very difficult to, there's never a, you know, black and white answer there, right? So somebody has to discover the answers by themselves. Uh but yes, I would say a very important thing is to adapt and change the strategy and do something differently. Right? If you don't do that, if you try to keep, if you hit a wall and keep banging your, you know, uh, head to the wall, it's not going to make any difference. You have to find a way around it. How much is of that is intuition or how much of it is about the data? Like, like maybe there's two ways to look at this, Mehul. Um, do you, for instance set out objective criteria to make a decision where you say, you know what, I'm going to give this 12 months exactly. And then on 12 months, I'm going to look and it needs to hit these numbers. If it doesn't hit these numbers, we're pivoting. So in other words, you've already set a bunch of triggers and if then kind of situation going forward, do you do it that way? Or do you kind of say, okay, there's a feeling 
that causes you to think, you know what, this we just shoot it's grinding now, <laughs> um, and I'm gonna go this way because of the grind. Like, is, is it like art and science? Like, how do we play this one? Like, uh, what's your thoughts? I, I would say the big part is the data itself because your feelings you, it will be very difficult to kind of you know you might be in a bad mood or bad feeling because of you know things not going right but you know certain events certain friends certain you know things that influences you can change it you know within a day or two also right so that's an emo emotional roller coaster ride when you are facing you know these uh, difficulties but you need to look at okay as a startup you know okay i have given a year or i have given two years and, and what is my revenue what's my growth mm. is this the kind of growth i should be seeing early on right uh you know that's that's the answer that you need to you know be really really uh you know look very closely to those questions right and, and that will tell you and and then you then you if you are into that kind of a situation you just put a time limit that okay Okay, so far where I stand, I'm not satisfied with that. You know, this is not how a startup should be. Okay, let me try these two more things or three more things and give six months and see how it goes, right? And 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 I genuinely change, you know, course. I genuinely find different ways to attack the problem, right? And that would give you the results if 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 the market is out there. But at the end of the day, you have to listen to the market. Market is the king, and it has always been. Right? So, so that's that's very important. And only way you can do that is is, is by data. Without data, yeah, cannot be just an emotional decision. That's right. And the data you gather by interacting with the market. There was a conversation I had just just today about this, where you know, if if you don't, the best information is actually direct primary source data from your customers. Um, uh, you can try and do all the validation from all of the people around you and all of this stuff. That's all well and good. Do all the strategizing. That's all well and good, important. But the most important information is actually what this customer is doing, not what they're seeing even. Like, how are they actually operating with your system? Are they spending time on it? Are they coming back to it? Those are the things you care about. Um, and, and it's almost like, you know, none of, none of your plans are ever going to survive contact with the customer, you know, as <laughs> a customer is going to basically do what they want with the thing. And then you'll learn from that. That's what you've got to learn. You've got to understand and adapt, uh, the service. So let's talk about this adapt, ad adaptation. Cause it's go ahead, Mel. On, on that note, right? Like, I mean, you know, whether to decide, you know, whether to use emotions to decide to quit something or use, use the data to do that right that reminds me you know one of the very interesting quote from you know uh, richard branson right uh, so richard branson said that nothing bad has ever happened with me in my life that that he has mentioned that multiple times i mean it's not possible now right i mean everybody you know in their life they you know good and bad things happen with them but what he means by that he said that i cannot recall anything ever bad happening to me he chooses to always remember the positive part and he chooses not to take the baggage of the negative past with him right because with, with that baggage you cannot run right so 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 that has influenced me a lot so if you want to use emotions you use emotions only for the positive signs uh... right? uh, you, know, uh, you don't use the emotions to kind of that that will bring you down right 
Yo, that's actually really, really profound, Mehul, um, uh, because you, you're, what you're saying is, is that, yes, emotions kind of emerge, like they emerge within sort of us, we, but you can sort of ex- control your, your experience of them or you can kind of control which ones are more prominent in your own kind of uh, yeah. mind space, so to speak. Yeah, so you don't allow any emotion to overly dominate uh, sort of your your behavior if you choose not to. So in other words, maybe you don't choose the emotions, but you can choose which ones are important to lean on and I sit within. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really profound. Isn't that profound, folks? That's that's important. That it goes beyond entrepreneurship. In fact, it, it goes to the kind of the piloting of your own life because there's too many people that uh, uh, unfortunately are almost a victim of their emotion. Um, where you can see they're not in control because something will happen. It will cause them either to have a huge emotional spike and you can see that, you know what, they're not in control of it. This can be exhilarating. You know, this can be great if it's a positive emotion, but they're still not in control of it. Um, and you know uh, the, the counter sort of uh, experience might also be the case and there'll be a huge drop. Of course, you know, these days we understand uh, uh, a lot of these are mental health issues and so forth, um, which I fully respect. But I do wonder whether there's an element where we can exert some kind of control um, to give ourselves some internal balance uh, that might help us deal with some of these issues a little bit better. Uh, Particularly if you are doing something that is higher risk, uh, where you can expect emotional turbulence, right? I mean, if you're setting up a a business, uh, you and your wife decide, okay, this may be like income free for X amount of time. Of course, that's going to be a more turbulent emotional scenario than simply doing a job uh, as as per you do. Um, Let's talk about flow career. Why did this became the idea? Because, you know, since that time, obviously, you've gone and raised some money. It's been great. You're moving forward. Things things seem to be pointing in the right direction. Um, How did you stumble upon the idea of of this one uh, from the, the earlier failures that you had? Sure. So it has kind of a connection with the earlier uh, failure that we had in terms of the flow learning. What we had was, you know, we had this uh, industry experts, the freelancers, right? And, uh, you know, we had this, uh, you know, uh, fresh graduates who, who are supposed to be trained by these folks so that, you know, they will, they will find a good placement and whatnot, right? So those were the components that we had, right? So we looked at in 2000, in the middle of 2018, you know, almost towards 2019 is when we repeated. So, so we looked at it and said, Hey, what, what are the components we had? We had a bunch of freelancers. We had a platform to kind of, you know, uh, uh, deal with them and whatnot. Video interviewing kind of a platform, you know, we had, uh, so we thought that, okay. Uh, and, and the B2C was one of the reasons we kind of failed because we didn't have much experience in that space. Uh, but B2B seemed more kind of within the grasp, you know, of, of doing things. So um, uh, again, we looked at these components that we had and then we decided, okay, how about, you know, we solve another very important problem that persists, you know, as part of the hiring. And, you know, uh, you know, we can use these freelancers now not to train, but to take interviews of the candidates for the company. And, you know, uh, another thing that I believe is, you know, job creation is the solution of almost all, if not all, uh, the, the most of the problems in the world, right? 
Now, you yourself cannot create so many jobs, but if you can make efficient for others, you know, to kind of, you know, fulfill the, you know, uh, requirement for the jobs, right? That would be a wonderful impact. So that, that purpose will drive you. You know, we already have some components very, this is a real problem. Let's test the waters. So we we did that and uh, early 2019, you know, uh, is where we had first paying large customer. Uh, and again, you know, we saw that, okay, you know, we were growing almost five to 10% month over month. And that was the indication that yeah, this, this looks like this is something that's clicking now. That's great. How did that feel, Mehul? Um, when, <laughs> when you made the pivot and you started to see it working, like tell us a little bit about how that made you feel. <laughs> of course, yeah, there is nothing like, you know, looking that graph going up, you know, every month you see 5-10% growth, right, uh, uh, during those early days. Then came COVID and we had a big dip for about three months when we had a nationwide lockdown. But post that, we were growing 25-30% month over month. So yeah, because was... the world had the world had moved to video, right? So suddenly yeah. it just accelerated mm -hmm. the journey, and uh, and that's fantastic. And then, of course, you know, you move for, further forward and um, you know get some significant funding uh, through to support the, the growth of it. Uh, tell us for the people who don't know Flow Career, tell us what it is. It's actually a really remarkable solution. We got a little bit of an hint on it. So you got a bunch of freelancers on platform, and they actually do the interviewing on behalf of employers. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we have effectively done the Uberization of interviews, right? So, so it's same as Uber, right? In Uber, you book a cab and what the platform does is, you know, it will figure out, okay, they have probably hundreds of thousands of, you know, drivers around across the country. They will notify only the nearby folks so that they will come, one of them will come and pick you up, right? So we have done the same thing for interviews. The HR team can upload the resume on the platform. And the platform figures out who are the best interviewers for this job for this company right and one of the guys you know will pick up the candidate and schedule the interview so now the hr doesn't have to worry about scheduling the interview uh the in-house team which is busy doing their core work they don't have to deal with so many interviews and and and, and at the same time you know the gig workers are like kind of you know really making a good money out of it did you everyone get this like this is a this is a i think a unique innovation i don't know of a single business out there that is even doing something similar to this it is the uberization of interviewing so imagine this you're hiring for x role um and you upload the candidate cv onto flow career and flow career will basically find the people who would be hiring managers or assessors for this role um, and these will be people who will be outside of your company. They'll have no stake. Think about the D and I kind of uh, 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 value to this. They'll, they'll have no kind of emotional commitment one way or the other. Their job is purely to interview whether this person is competent at the job. Uh, and that is basically uh, a kind of almost like getting rid of a lot of the cultural biasy issues that you might Absolutely. find within your business. Um, I don't know of a single organization doing it. I can understand why you guys raised some money on this because it seems to me like a really exciting and, and potentially global, right? I love the fact that you could get to a point where any role might that has an interview component, some jobs don't require this, but some most jobs do have this interview component. You could, you could sort of expand this to almost any job as long as you have the people who are on the platform they can do it and guess what these people don't need to be permanently hired by the platform they can they i could do it right i could 
put myself forward as an interviewer. Is that correct? And and, and start interviewing recruiters, for instance. Is that possible? Uh, yeah, I mean, so yeah, relevant skills and you know uh, expertise. We always match you know the gig workers with uh, you know their, their jobs. So yes, yeah, uh, anybody can can uh, you know apply and you know. Yeah. See what this is. This democratize. It's also uh, Uberization. I know Uber's kind of had the uh, uh, the kind of gone through the PR mill as well. But they did actually create an innovation that was really remarkable, which was unlock excess capacity. Right. So everyone had cars. Mm -hmm. You're not driving your car 24 by seven. There is time when you can pick somebody up and and and, and do it right. Um, and I think interviewing is the same. Like we we have basically concentrated interviewing into only a few people in an in, in a company and overloaded them often. Uh, so mm -hmm. if you imagine uh, uh, sort of you're hiring for a technology role or whatnot, guess what? The CTO probably has involvement there. So senior tech engineers have to be interviewed. They're hugely important people in the business that may have like major urgent deadlines. And you've got to say, yeah. hey, there's 10 people you've got to interview. So it's totally locked in. But imagine if you could kind of um, just spread it around. You can guarantee this interview at the same quality, but you could diffuse the responsibility of assessing to this global marketplace where there's going to be excess, excess capacity somewhere, uh, right? So it's like any of the cloud solutions, right? Where you are suddenly, you know, tapping into a much bigger capacity. Uh, because, uh, I mean, if you take an example, let's say you have a 10 people team and you want to double it because of the growth. Now you want to hire 10 more people and to hire each person, you know, in tech industry, we have seen anywhere between 15 to 20 interviews to hire one person. So even if you are, you know, more efficient, 15 per, per seat, it means 150 interviews. Now your people, 10 people team will take probably two, three weeks to do that. On Flowcare platform, you can get it done within 24 hours because, you know, we have 4,000 interviews. So you are stepping into a much bigger capacity. Yeah, yeah, and the capacity is is uh, I guess what Flowcreate also has is redundant capacity. Um, uh, in other words, it can scale your your assessment up. Um, mm -hmm. So the times when, for instance, there is like a big interview spike. In fact, there's something I'm going to be talking about soon, um, where you know uh, there's companies that have mega scale responsibilities, right? Um, uh, where sometimes they can have a requirement. Well, oh, I need to hire ten thousand people in two weeks um uh, you know that kind of level of recruiting yeah you can't you can't just get your team to go and interview those people you need some sort of solution so this kind of thing might be uh, might be providing that type of support uh, very quickly for the audience here Mehul, uh, what kind of um what kind of like roles do you typically recruit for now and what is the plan in future uh, uh for you to, uh, to 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 also provide a service against so currently, you know, most of the interviews we conduct are uh, in the space of uh, tech jobs, you know, technology jobs. And in technology jobs, we have like almost 200 plus skills we have done the interviews. We have more than, more than 300,000 interviews under our belt by now. So in, in tech jobs, you know, pretty much any skill, you name it, we would have interviews, interviewers for that. Uh, but we are also kind of now moving towards more kind of opening up ourselves to other domains. Uh, in, in US, we have started just recently the you know interviews for the healthcare and the nursing domain. And guess what? You know, first time ever, you know, the nurses would have an opportunity to work from home, you know, because of our platform, right? So, uh, you know, uh, nursing has been a very, very you know high stress, high strain job, you know, 
uh, especially you know the whole ecosystem has been exhausted because of the covid and you know uh, uh, now if somebody wants to say hey i, I want to work 30 hours you know doing the actual nursing and maybe 10 hours i just want to do interviews we will be making that possible for them that that's amazing because I, I, the nursing is a really critical example because i think you're absolutely right the system has been absolutely de de depleted in terms of energy um, and lots of people are leaving public health there because of this reason and we absolutely need those people um and, and yes they're going into different industries and so forth but why are we losing that institutional knowledge because we could those ex nurses could now become absolutely perfect assessors for the next generation of candidates that we need to go and recruit um so this other so flow career can help kind of solve the labor force reallocation issue um because it means that um you have the ability to assess new people coming through the flow which is part of the problem of, of failure to replace is because you don't actually know who's good or bad you, just, you, you don't have enough assessors to do it um so flow career might provide kind of this place where people can go um and 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 continue to assess i wonder whether this would be really good for early retirees any job right let's say you want to downshift in some way you know, a lot of people, guess what? They don't want to work 45, 50, 60 hours a week. Maybe the, the past that they want to switch down. Okay, great. But they have all of this knowledge. Why are, why are they not doing something like super valuable, like assessing the next generation that can come through? So Absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's, it has been a very, you know, a great win-win-win situation, you know, for candidates. It's a, it's a winning situation because they see the interview getting scheduled very quickly. They, they get a sense of learning when they leave the table you know for for uh interviewers as you mentioned there are a lot of situations where people you know who wants to work remotely for certain you know reasons uh or, or they want to take early retirement or a semi-retired or you know uh, whatever they want to do right they can they can still do a very meaningful job and for the employers right not only just the turnaround time but you kind of touched upon those points about the entire DEI kind of, uh, you know, uh, situation for diversity and, you know, equity. Uh, uh, now it's an unbiased interview because we structure these interviews. You know, we, that's one of the, you know, very critical secret sauce we have is we structure these interviews. We have a very good repository of lateral hire interview questions. Uh, not a lot of companies pay attention to the interviewing apart from probably Google and Amazon, which has put a lot of thoughts around interviewing. Uh, so we make that possible for everyone to have a very structured interviews uh, to remove the biases from the process. Yeah, and and e even if we accept, and I know there's some critics out there that will now, it's now cool to say you can never remove bias, right? Which is probably true. We can say that human beings will always have heuristics. Um, but one of the things that kind of creating the, uh, sort of having the interviews conducted on platform rather than in company is that at the very least you are diffusing the bias outside of the company you're, you're you're pushing it out so in other words you might have some inherent issues within your organization um based on things like workforce homogeneity or whatever it is that's in there that causes these frictions um but you can push it out to a, a totally different platform that has none of the legacy issues that you have in your business and that can create a different experience for the people coming through uh in process how fascinating uh that is um yeah i mean not only just the cultural and you know those kind of biases but 
you know what sometimes happens in the companies apart from that you know like you know uh, those biases uh, a pure kind of you know personality related biases what i mean by that is somebody can be very lenient in the interviewing somebody can be very strict in the interviewing right here we are structuring the interview we have a lot of heuristics a lot of data to say that okay these interview question is most suitable for medium size this kind of companies for that kind of skills in this domain so we create that pool of questions and and, and associate that with you know a, a job so no matter who takes the interview the the, the difficulty level you know hovers in the similar kind of uh, you know uh, level yeah yeah i think that's it's, it's a fascinating like i say i don't i don't think i've heard of a, a product like this like and i see a lot of recruitment tech so this is actually a real uh, uh interesting innovation um uh to see um Mihal, you've actually moved back to the us um and i guess this was tied in in in, in some way to uh, obviously raising funds and obviously needing to do all of those things um, tell us about the, the journey there, because that's, that's an interesting insight for a lot of people who might be thinking about, you know, going down the recruitment technology or the technology startup route. Um, when did you realize that actually fundraising was the right thing to do? And, you know, when you had to, to make the shift back to the U.S., how did you handle that situation, the, the emotional side and the practical side as well? Sure. So when we started seeing this amazing growth, you know, post-COVID situation where people are more open to, you know, remote hiring, remote working and whatnot, uh, and we were growing 25-30% month over month, right? Uh, and, and so that was the time to kind of reach out and go really global. We already, we always had that ambition and, uh, you know, we wanted to come to, you know, get back. Uh, our company was anyways registered in US and, you know, India was a subsidiary. That's how we structure because we knew this concept is a global concept so uh, uh, that's when you know uh, uh, we got funded by uh, two vcs one in boston one in bay area and uh, given the fact that a lot of our traditional customers have been from the east coast uh, you know uh, we decided we need to have the you know the team locally present and, and you know uh, and make this concept now uh, successful in us and at a global stage so that was the whole idea and that's why i decided to you know move back to us uh, so that we can repeat our success story here in us yeah and, and how was the move Mehul? um you know you've been away for 10 years you did the chunk and then you came back a uh, different place obviously <laughs> you're in boston now um but, uh, but how how have you reacclimated i think over time as you get older as well uh, I think maybe your ability to, to seamlessly shift may shift as well. So tell me about how, how it is to, 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 to start again in a different city. So, I, I mean, it, I, I am very fortunate and lucky, you know, kind of like to, to kind of have this, you know, going back and forth, you know, most of the times, and, and you are also an immigrant, probably your parents or grandparents, you know, they, they have this, you know, whether we accept or not, but they have the minority complex, right? So, they will go to your own kind of, you know, like the Indians will go to the Indian supermarkets and Indian stores and whatnot, right? Uh, now that I have paid my dues, right, to India, <laughs> I don't feel compulsion for that. I'm more interested to kind of be part of, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, how, you know, to understand the U.S. at a, you know, uh, uh, at a cultural level, at a much deeper, in a much deeper sense, right? And, and, and I don't feel compulsion that I have to go to Indian store and do Indian stuff to continue to prove myself, my affinity. 
No, no, I totally get what you mean. But hey, that shouldn't mean like denying yourself some Indian desserts and stuff like this. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's like, make sure you have the gulab jamun still on hand. Um, <laughs> no, matter what I, no, no matter how acclimated you get to the US. Um, and I am going to be in Chinatown tomorrow. I'm going to have some dim sum. been a while. So that's going to happen. Um, uh, okay, uh, Mehul, let's we're coming to the end of the uh, end of the conversation. I get the feeling we can keep talking forever, but so we, we don't have the, the time to do this. So let's just cover off a few more questions that we sure. I think the audience might want to hear. Flow career, what exciting things can existing customers or the product expect in 2022 into 2023? What's happening down the pipe? So we are doing uh, you know a lot of work, uh, you know, in terms of making our uh, pool of interviewers, you know, truly global. So we are we are bringing a lot of people from Latin America, you know, uh, Eastern Europe, uh, and so on and so forth. Right. So this is to in increase our coverage across the globe. Right. Uh, so that's something that we are doing. We are also incorporating more and more, you know, uh, uh, intelligence into the platform in terms of, you know, a uh, uh, lot of machine learning based uh, match of interview questions, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. Right. So a lot of automation, a lot of that will enable us even at greater scale. We, currently, we are doing almost 20,000 interviews a month uh, on the platform. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, we are, we are kind of uh, hoping to, you know, grow this at a multiple fold, you know, uh, this year. So, you know, a uh, lot of automation, additional automation, uh, and, 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 you know, increasing our scope geographically of our interviewers. Those are yep. the two critical things, I would say. Yeah, amazing. It's almost like this is the time to scale it out and get more people using the platform and being able to actually put jobs through it or put interviews through it. Um, because I think people will be excited to try this. Um, it, it seems to solve a lot of the, the problems of pipeline and assessment in an assessment load in a very, and D and I, and, and I'm debiasing in a very unique way. Um, okay, cool. Um, let's final word, uh, Mehul, uh, for the young people out there or people who are thinking about, you know, the entrepreneurial path, um, what kind of advice would you give them, parting advice to say, you know what, uh, here's something I've learned through, you know, being part of this and also doing my own, own, own journey. Uh, what's the one thing that this person should know before they embark? So, um, if I had to pick only one thing, I would say that, you know, uh, I have seen people smarter than me in my life around me, but what has helped me to kind of, uh, you know, uh, grow uh, both financially and experience wise and whatnot is your ability to take the risk. You, know, you have to take the risk, you know, and, and, and when you take a risk, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you have to quit your job and do something, right? You can take small risks in your daily work also, right? You're, you're, you know, you have been doing things in certain way and then take risk and you know just do it slightly differently and see how it goes right so that's very very important uh and, and probably very close to that is to have that couple of good friends who can give you a really good feedback right that's that's absolutely important you know what those pre-built for relationships like the relationships you build before an agenda uh, without an agenda uh, they're the people that will always be able to uh, uh if you have that crew of people around you that's like Again, almost like a superpower. It's a, it's a, it's a plus one bonus point on your journey as an entrepreneur. Um, okay, Mehor, listen, I've taken way too much of your time. You've got busy things to do. Uh, what is happening for you in terms of after this call? What, uh, what stuff is back on schedule for the CEO of Low Career? 
keeping in touch with a few customers, right? That is always we are always customer focused. So yeah, we reaching out to them. You know, that's 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 the agenda for today. Uh, but Ooh. thanks for having me. You know, really appreciate you know this platform. Uh, you guys, you know, I, I checked out some of the previous other podcasts and whatnot. You know, uh, very very interesting forum that you have built here. No, it's uh, the, the job of recruiting brain food is to bring interesting people and interesting conversations and interesting products to the recruiting community. So hopefully uh, we've managed to do that uh, today. Uh, Mehul Bat, uh, CEO of Flow Career, thank you so much for your time. It's been great, uh, great chatting with you. Thanks for having me, Hung. Nice talking to you. Yeah, thank you. Wow, wasn't he great? Um, what a nice guy he is, Mehul Bat. And, and you know what? I'm actually kind of raving on his product now, and which I typically don't do. Uh, but I'm I'm actually found out that yeah, there's some light bulbs kind of popped in my head when I was speak when I Mehul was speaking there about how interesting um, this uh, uh, this uh, concept is. I'd love for people to give this shot. Flow to create a com, folks. Um, if you haven't tried it and you want to try it, go ahead and do it, and let me know what you think. Uh, the Uberization of interviewing. Okay, um, that's about it for today. Thanks for watching. Uh, if you're interested in conversations like this, please follow the channel. We do these whenever we have interesting entrepreneurs that want to take part. Um, and also, we are on Friday, Brain Food Live on air. Don't forget this. We are talking sourcing on Reddit, folks. Uh, already 335 people, I think. 335 people, I think, have already registered on that show. We're going to get 500 people watching it, folks. Uh, that is the seat limit. Uh, so if you haven't already registered, I recommend you do so and don't miss out. We've got Aaron Matthew from PayPal and Vim Damans from Tenet joining us uh, for that show. We're on five fr Friday at 2 p.m. Okay, that's about it. Uh, have a good day, folks. See you on Friday.